Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Oh, bless the Lord. Mm. I'm not really that old, y'all. It just, you know, my goodness. Man, taking me back down memory lane and everything. Oh, God's good, isn't he? I just had a time last night. I about lost everything. My word. I thought y'all gonna have to come up and do CPR on me. Oh, yes. Aren't you glad to be in the house of your God? Just give the Lord a round of applause for who he is. Uh, hallelujah. Oh, yes. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to two portions of Scripture. And I'm going to need your help tonight. First Samuel chapter 15 and First Chronicles chapter 10. First Samuel chapter 15 and First Chronicles chapter 10. We're going to read uh, two very, very powerful portions of Scripture, and they're kind of lengthy, but one of the reasons I have you read it, because I want it to resonate in your spirit. I want you to, to, to really partake of God's Word and the, and the presence of God. There are some people here tonight that God has brought you here, amen, by divine orchestration. It is not a mistake. It is not an accident. I said I was going to preach on nothing just happens, but I believe tomorrow night is going to be the night for that. And the Spirit of God has given me this tonight, and, and so I want you to open your heart. I want to preach a sermon I've entitled, Tales from the Crypt. 
And so if I would give this sermon a title, I would give it this title because what it is is about a man by the name of King Saul. And King Saul has died a horrible death. And I believe that if King Saul had the opportunity to come back and speak to us, and speak a word to us. This would be some of the things that he would say. And so that's why I call it Tales from the Crypt. It is a voice from the grave. And so tonight it is God's intent and God's purpose to speak a word to you. It is God's intent to intersect you right where you are, whether you are being successful, whether you are failing, whether you are troubled, whether your mind is in quandary, whether you're going through struggles and temptations and peer pressures, no matter where you are, God wants to meet you at the point of your need. He wants to meet you in the midst of your circumstance and make himself real to you and bring revelation that God is able to use situation to bring revelation that you'll never know that God is a healer unless there was a sickness that's how bad God is that when the enemy means it for bad God is able to use it to bring revelation to open your eyes and say yes I see what God was trying to do in this text God is trying to speak to us every time you walk through those doors make no mistake about it it is God's intent to speak to you to give you a word that can change your entire life that can change your perspective on an issue uh, that can change your heart and your attitude uh, that can cause you uh, to say you know what uh, with my God amen uh, I shall do gallantly I can do things for God uh, I can stand for God uh, I can live for God uh, I can uh, amen take a licking and keep on ticking uh, and do the will of God for my life uh, no matter if I'm a teenager or if I'm in the winter years of my life uh, God can and use my life. And so stand with me as we read this text together. If you don't have a Bible, look on with someone. If you don't know how to read, just move your mouth and God will help you. Amen. And do it by faith. Glory to God. And so we're going to start, start at verse 1 and verse 2 and skip down to verse 9 and then go to verse 13 and then we're going to keep reading. I may fall out, but you keep reading. You did so good last night. And so 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you're there, shout amen. Verse 1 on account of 3 to verse 2, then down to verse 9. 1, 2, 3. Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus said the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Verse 3, reverse. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Go down to verse 9. On 3. 
One, two, three. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the ox and the fat and the lamb and all that was good and were unwilling to destroy them, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Go down to verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ear, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Malachites, for the people spared the best of the sheep. And they'll keep reading, To sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agat, king of the Amalekites. And I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and the oxen, and the best of the thing which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Keep reading. So Samuel said... Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is an iniquity and idolatry. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord your word, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Okay, that's it. Let's stop right there. Okay, let's go to First Chronicles chapter 10, verse 2 through 10. You see, this is a work right here. Hallelujah. First mm-hmm. Chronicles chapter 10, verse 2 through 10. When you're there, shout amen. On the count of three, one, two, three. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadad, and Mekeshua, and Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him. He was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not. For was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died. So Saul and his three sons died, and all his house together continued. And they stripped him and took his head and his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idol and among the people. Then they put his arm in the temple of their gods and fastened his head to the temple in the temple of Dagon. The Lord bless you. You can be seated tonight. Thank you. Tales from the crypt. My first point is a category of distinction. As you study the life of King Saul, you find that he was the first king 
of Israel. He was handpicked by God and anointed to stand and to rule as the king over all of Israel. He was the number one. And so he is serving in a place of distinct honor. As you read the text, you will find that there is a turning point in his life. And the question we need to ask is this. I want you to allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. How can you climb so high? How can God bless you so much? How can your life stand in such a place of great influence and God raise you up so high and then you fall down so low? This is the question that we must investigate in the word of the Lord. The reality tonight is this. Every one of us should tremble as we read this text. It tells us that there are non-exempt. No matter how called you are, how anointed you may be, you can be a preacher or a pastor or evangelist. You can be a politician. You can be a housewife. You can be a high school student. It does not matter. Everybody should tremble at this text because no matter who you are, you are capable of toppling and falling utterly low in your life. And so the Bible says the things written in the old economy, in the Old Testament, were written for our example and to admonish us and teach us that we may not make the same mistakes. Can I get one witness? Saul is nothing more than a voice from the grave warning us not to make the same mistakes that he made. As you read about Saul, you begin to study his life. You find that he did not die by the sword of his enemies, but Saul was destroyed by his own sword. He, he did not die by the sword of the Amalekites. The kings did not come against him and kill him, but he fell on his own sword. Hear me tonight and hear me well. I'm not preaching to you to warn you about the sword of your enemies, but to warn you about falling on your own sword and self-destructing by your own decisions. Amen. He fell on his own sword. The sword that God gave him to kill the enemies with. The sword that represented God's kingdom and God's thrust and God's authority. He fell on his own sword. And so as you scrutinize Saul's life, there was a visible anointing upon his life. There was a sort of synergism with him and his God. As you begin to look at him from a man, the embryonic state of his reign, as he began to walk with God, there was a presence of God on his life. As a matter of fact, whenever King Saul went out to battle, they would go out with banners Whenever they would go out, the enemies would see the children of Israel coming. And when they saw the banner of Israel, amen, they were so afraid because they knew the anointing was on soil's life. And whenever the anointing is, the anointing breaks the yoke. There's a divine presence of God that was upon his life. That if God be for you, who in the world can be against you? I don't care what comes up against your 
your life. If God is there, I don't care how bad the storm is around your boat. You ain't got to worry about your boat sinking. If God be for you, who can be against you? I tell you. And so Saul, Saul had this visible anointing upon his life. It teaches us as long as you're in harmony with God that no weapon formed against you will prosper. It teaches us something about God's rule and reign in our lives as long as we're walking in covenant. Remember that word covenant. It is a powerful word. It would do you well to study that word for it teaches you something about God. He is a God of covenant and so his enemies were terrified because they understood the God of Israel was mighty. The God of Israel knows no defeat. He leads his people into battle before him his enemies must flee i feel god up in here uh, it might be me by myself i don't know i get excited like that sometimes and so his enemies understood the divine providence of god now listen to me tonight it is the enemy's strategy to plant in your heart and my heart seeds of selfishness and arrogance and rebellion creating a breach between you and your God. That is his plan. He wants to use whatever circumstance. He'll use your wife. He'll use boyfriend. He'll use girlfriend. He'll use a man workmates. He'll use school classmates to come and sow seeds. A man into your heart that will ultimately disrupt your union with God. This is how the devil works. Listen to me. Listen to me good. The devil is not omnipresent like God is. See then what the devil does. The devil comes and drops one seed on you. He'll say one word to you. You know, someone can say one word to you and ruin your whole day. The devil will come and drop one seed on you. Then he goes to France. You still over here 10 years, still fight over here. Get off me. The devil is in France somewhere. He's not omnipresent. And what happens many times, he creates a man this breach and this division and isms and schisms between us and our God. This is where the enemy can strip you of your army and decapitate your vision because you thought it was you and not your God who made you what you are today. Although Saul was successful, he kills himself with the sword he was supposed to kill Agag, God's enemy with him. And the truth of the matter is this. It is not what people do to you that destroy you. It's what you do to yourself. You know, you can blame people. They did this to me. They hurt me. And people can hurt you. People can do things, yes, that break your heart. People can do things that put your mind in quandary. People can do things that frustrate you. But people cannot destroy you. You destroy you. 
I just want you to get that one right there. You don't get nothing else. In our text, in 1 Samuel 15, the voice of Saul is speaking from the crib. He teaches us about some self-inflicted wounds that left him pray, amen, in the valley of Gilboa. I want to look at four real quickly. Four warnings that if he was talking to us tonight, four things he would tell us. I want you to do these things. Make sure that you pay attention. Make sure that you observe these things in your life. If not, you will be a casualty like I was in the valley of Gilboa. And so are you ready tonight? Number one, the words you would speak to us from the crypt is don't be disobedient. Everybody say it. He is saying this, you cannot do wrong to make things come out right. You cannot disobey your way into the promises of God. You cannot try to do it your way and think it's going to come out the way you want it it to come out. You cannot sin and think you will not reap from what you have sown. Don't try to do things your way. Disobedience will rob you of your destiny. Disobedience will rob you of the favor of God. It will break down the harmony and the synergism of God. It'll cause your life to be at odds with God. Whatever you do, don't disobey your God. Now we all got to be real here. All of us. Everybody. All of us. Because all of us have the tendency to be disobedient. God tells us something and we don't do it. That's, that's disobedience. God said, you know what? You need to quit acting like that. Well, they did it to me first. Disobedience. And just because you're doing all these other things over here right, God said, I, I, don't, I don't get it. This, this one thing thou lacks. One thing. And so he says, he says, I want you to examine yourself. I want you to search yourself deep. I want you to be real. It was disobedient that becomes the incubator of his failure. In verse 22, keep your Bibles open. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. God is saying, I see everything that you do. I see everything, amen, that you think. But I'm not even moved by that. Disobedience, amen, will rob you. Obedience is better than sacrifice. I'd rather have somebody over here that begins to obey God, that begins to say, God, it's me. It's like the, it's like the two men in the Bible. The one man said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men, that I give of my tithe. That, you know, Lord, I pray, amen, three times a week. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. But the other man would not even lift his head up. He says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. One man recognized who he was. Another man recognized what he does. And God says, this man is more justified because there's an obedience. There's a man who's willing to confront what he is. Now, we're going to start. That was just the beginning, intro kind of. Now I'm going to preach. Number two, he warns us about arrogance. 
He does not come into the presence of the prophet and say that I am wrong and I have done this mess. Arrogance says that I am the man. Arrogance doesn't understand accountability. Arrogance doesn't understand it was God that did this thing in your life. In verse 9, listen to his arrogance. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the land and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. God says is your arrogance. Listen to what he's, he tells him initially in verse 17. He says, Saul, when you were little in your own eyes, when you were little in thy own eyes, in our own sight, was that not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed the king over Israel. He says, what caused you to be promoted, what caused you to be blessed, what caused you to go up the steps of the Lord, it's because you humbled yourself. Humility brings you promotion. Humility, a man gives you the favor of God. Humility brings a dimension of God upon your life that lifts you up. It conditions you to be grateful and appreciative. Humility always says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Humility always says, I didn't do this thing. God did it for me. God brought me from here. I was lost. I had nothing to offer God. But God fought for me. God washed me in his blood. God did it for me. It's humility that blessed your life. When you were small in your own sight. See, a sense of entitlement. Listen to me fosters an attitude of arrogance almost as if God owes you something huh you come to church like you're doing God a favor y'all just need to be glad I'm here that was y'all just need to be glad I'm here listen to him you need to be glad that God let you come uh, I'll tell you and so what happens, you will be shocked at the thing that we have lost. Oh, because we've forgotten how to be thankful. You'll be shocked at the things that will be taken from you because of your arrogance. You'll be shocked the things that God had for you, but he couldn't give it to you because you were so arrogant. When you were small in your own eyes, didn't God make you the king over Israel? Didn't God give you what you couldn't give yourself? Didn't God open doors for you that men cannot shut? Didn't God heal you in your body when you were small in your own sight? Didn't God reach down and bless your children when you were small in your own sight? Didn't God do things for you? Wasn't you more blessed than you've ever been in your life? It's because Saul, you were small. In your own sight. You didn't stare in the mirror too long. You know, we can get in that mirror. Oh, yeah, I don't want to be honest with me. Okay, we'll keep moving on. Saul is a part of a system that arrogance has brought a curse upon his life. He, he has destroyed his entire family with arrogance. Now, listen to me. Could it be possible that you can be doing something? 
that is killing you, could it be possible that you are doing something that is destroying you bit by bit? Could it be possible Samuel was simply trying to remind Saul you got where you got because you were little in your own eyes? Could it be possible that an adjustment of your attitude could change your altitude? It's like this building right now. You can go to the thermostat in this building and you can just make a small adjustment and the temperature, amen, the environment would affect everybody in the building. Did you know if you just made a small adjustment in your attitude, it'll change your whole life. It could change your marriage. Just a small adjustment. God making a small calibration in your spirit. Just a little bit, a small adjustment to position you, to change you, that your life now is before God. A small change in your heart can cause your life to begin to rise. Also, wasn't it because you were small in your own sight? Wasn't it, Saul, that you looked at yourself? When they said you're going to be king, you said, not me, man. I, I can't do it, man. I don't know the first thing. I need God. Because, you know what? You fit the, you fit the profile. Because uh, you understand your need for God. He warns about arrogance. Number th three, he reveals his rebellion. What makes rebellion so bad? Stay with me tonight. What makes it so bad tonight is our text says that rebellion is just the sin of witchcraft. He compares rebellion to witchcraft. And so rebellion is a conscious, open, intentional, blatant disregard for God. It is not a mistake or an accident. It is going in the opposite direction by your own will and volition. It is premeditated. It is something that you think about, something that you plot in your own heart. And hear me, hear me well. You will be surprised how many people will use the Bible and even the pulpit to infringe their will over other people. Witchcraft is simply manipulation. It is the ability to manipulate anytime you try to infringe your will over others to get them to do what you want them to do. You are nothing more than a witch. There are parental witches that try to control their children. And their children can't make any decisions. When they come of age, they try to dictate to them everything they want them to do and listen I understand that there is an authority that God gives you but there is a point in time that they have to make their own decisions there's a point in time that you have to give them over to God you can't control everything they do who they marry what they say can I get a witness if you began amen to delve too much you enter into an arena that you should not be in anyone that tries to move you away from God and God's plan and purpose for your life is nothing more than a witch there are witches everywhere which is on your job which is on the TV set which is everywhere trying to manipulate your mind with fear trying to control you and sow things into you that is not the will of God it is a spirit of rebellion it is witchcraft God said to Saul 
devil, a spirit of witchcraft has gotten a hold of you to make you say things against God's man, to make you stand and stand against God. It is a spirit of rebellion. Hear me tonight. The spirit of witchcraft ultimately leads Saul's, amen, and leads to his demise. If you read the text, and we'll turn over there, and you'll find what? Amen. While he died, amen, he finds himself uh, consulting a witch at indoor. This rebellion begins to manifest itself, and you begin to see that witchcraft. He goes to a witch at Endor, trying to find a man out, a way to get control, a way to gain direction, a way to do this and that. When you dial up those 900 numbers, when you're going to a palm reader, it is a witchcraft. It will destroy your soul. It is manipulation. It is trying to gain control that only God himself has. And so uh, he tells us, uh, whatever you do, uh, don't give yourself the rebellion. Uh, don't begin to rebel uh, and do it your way. Uh, submit yourself uh, and allow God to be God. See, the question is, there possibly any place in your life that rebellion could be a sword that could destroy you. Let me move on. Number four, lastly, his denial. Even after Samuel presses the issue, the spirit of blame comes upon Saul, and he said this, the people did it. Didn't he? You read it? Listen to this. Verse 15, and Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the ox and the sacrifices of the Lord that God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. This is nothing more than a Saul spirit. The unwillingness to assume responsibility for your own behavior. Blaming other people. She did it. He did it. Yeah, that's the reason that happened. Never taking responsibility for what you do. Denial will never allow you to confront your own issues. If you are not careful, the spirit of blame will rise up in you and you will start pointing fingers. And you'll start blaming other people. It is a spirit of blame. It was Bill. It was John. It was Paul. It was Debbie. No, it was Saul. It was Saul. You did this thing. Denial will never allow you to assume responsibility for your crazy decisions. Saul is lying to himself. And I learned this. Once you can lie to yourself. It's easy for you to look me dead in my face and tell me a lie. You can, you can look around. Oh, Pastor, I, I would never know. Uh, me? Uh, uh, Pastor, I can't believe you would think such a thing. And tell a lie? Man, I got to find some people that could be a witness up in here. And so, see, listen, there is a vast difference as I bring this to a close, there is a vast difference between morality and character. You can be moral and not necessarily have good character. 
I want you to hear me because people, uh, we're preaching morals. We are a moral-oriented fellowship. We preach on morals. You shouldn't be fornicating. You should be married. If you're going to be living with somebody, you got to be married. You can't be living in adultery. You can't be bound by homosexuality and lesbianism. You can't be up and down, whoremongering, and we deal with those issues, and that's gospel truth. But hear me and hear me well. Hear me and hear me well today. Amen. There is a vast difference between morality and character. You can be moral and not necessarily have good character. Your morals deal with the things you will not do. I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't run around with those that do. It's the things that you will not do. Your character goes deeper. It deals with your value system and your integrity. Amen. Things that you will not say about people. How you deal with conflicts and issues. How you assume responsibility. How you relate to headship. This is character. This is a lot deeper than morals. Morals are surface issues, outward issues. Character is inward issues. God says that man looks at the outward, but I look at the inward. I'll judge you by your heart. I look at your character. Things that people can't see. Things that people don't know about you. Things that are not so surfacey. Things that live down inside of you. Character is what God looks at. It is character. Amen. What God says what you are. Not just the outward fleshly things, but the inward spiritual things in your life. Listen, you might not be a but it doesn't necessarily mean you are a good co-worker. Oh. And so I've seen some Christians, they come to church, but when you talk to them, they're just as hateful as a bulldog. They look like they live in a briar passion. They've been raised on deal pickles. They ain't got no kind of love at all. They don't do all these things, but their character is all messed up. The Bible says that Saul, when David killed his 10,000, and Saul, his thousands, and they begin to sing that song, amen, about David. David killed his 10,000. Saul killed his thousands. When Saul heard that song, the Bible says that he looked at David and he eyed him. Jealousy, character. It was this thing that began to move inside of him. It was a plot that began to develop because his character was all, his heart was all messed up. Do you follow me today? If Saul could come back and talk to us, he would say, whatever you do, don't live in denial. Whatever you do, if God confronts you with the issues of your heart, don't try to push it aside. Don't lay the blame and say they made me do it. Say, this is who I am. This is what I'm dealing with, God. I got this thing inside of me that's killing me. And my prayer today is this. I say, God, don't let me kill me. Don't let me kill me. Because other people can hurt you. But you kill you. I'm leaving. I ain't coming to church no more. I am just, I'm going to isolate myself. Uh-uh. They can clap, but I ain't going to clap. I'm going to take my ball and go home. Huh? 
oh, I ain't going to do it no more. Uh, he want to give them position. Uh, uh, uh. I'll just speak to them. You know, if they speak to me, I'll speak back to them. But I ain't going to initiate nothing. Don't let me kill me, God. And slowly, you begin to die. Slowly, slow death. If his voice could speak to us, he'll say, don't do it. See, I, I studied this thing, and it bothered me for a long time. I read the word of God. I know y'all want to go home, but I read the word of God. And, 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 and sometimes I don't understand the Bible. That's just me. Pray for me. So, so, so I'm reading it, and, and, and it, it just it kind of makes me frustrated sometimes. The Bible says that man looks on the outward, but God is study searching the heart. Saul's problem was deep, yes, but his major problem is that he never admitted his condition. He never said, God, I'm sorry, it's me. He did it in a kind of a religious way, but he never had the godly sorrow working in his soul. And so if you think with me, this is the quandary that the scripture gave me. And so if you think with me, God replaced Saul with who? David. The Bible says that Samuel comes to Saul and says, God has taken the kingdom from you. And he has found another, your neighbor, who is better than you. That messed me up. Because if you study David's life in omniscience, in God's mind, he knows everything. If you study David's life, David was a murderer, an adulterer, a schemer. He killed another man over a woman. You're talking about a soap opera. You start read you my goodness. He had children all over the kingdom. If you really study David, it'll scare you. And I'm saying, what in the world? How can he be better than Saul? Saul never did any of those things. Didn't he? He never did none of them things. But David at all. And so we saw David, we said, You a nasty mouth. Look at you. Just you better. You I can't believe you. Just look at you. Don't even, don't even, don't even look at you. But David, but the Bible teaches us something. God said David is a better man. He was a mess. His kids were a mess. See, there's something at work here. Saul didn't have a filthy life, but he had a filthy spirit and a filthy heart. When Samuel came to Saul and said, Saul, look what you did. How could you do such a thing? The Bible says Saul said the people did it. When Nathan, the prophet Nathan, came to David and said, David, thou art the man. Look what you did in God's sight. David said, it's me. I've sinned in your sight. I've done this evil in your sight. Created me a clean heart, oh God. Yes. And so what is the difference? David was willing to repent and say, it's me. Saul was in denial. And that's the difference. He was willing to say it's me. He's willing to say, Lord, don't let me kill me. Repentance is a sword that keeps you from falling on your own sword. 
his own sword. He killed himself. If you live in arrogance, you'll kill yourself. People ain't got to kill you. The devil just said, I got him now. He think he the, he the man. You'll fall on your own sword. And my, my, my prayer is, Lord, don't let me kill me. Because your greatest enemy is the inner me. That's it. Ain't nobody else. Right here. God, don't let me kill me. David said, I've done this evil in your sight, God. Creating me a clean heart. Renewing me a right spirit. Don't take your spirit away from me. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.